Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello and welcome to LawPod. I am Dr. Lauren Dempster. I'm a lecturer in the School of Law at Queen's University Belfast and I am delighted today to be joined by Dr. Dara McGill. So I'm going to ask Dara to introduce himself in a second. Uh, This episode is the next in a special series of LawPod in which we explore an edited collection that was released this year by Routledge called Beyond Transitional Justice, Transformative Justice and the State of the Field or Non-Field. And that was edited by Matthew Evans. So we've already spoken to Matthew about the collection overall. And today we're going to focus on Dara's chapter on transforming experiences of citizen security. So, Dara, could you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself to begin? Hi, Lauren. Yes, yeah, th- thanks for the invitation to come here and speak about the chapter. Um, I work for the Global Security Programme, uh, which is based at Pembroke College, uh, University of Oxford, and I'm the research uh, area lead for citizenship and community participation. Um, I guess prior to that, I, I did my PhD in the Transitional Justice Institute over at uh, Ulster University. So, um, this chapter is kind of bringing together that sort of transitional transformative justice um, from the from the doctorate and then um, following that uh, the work that I'm doing which is a bit more of a security um, and citizenship focus so this chapter kind of very much tries to bring those fields together. Excellent thank you Dara uh, I was pleased to read your chapter because it's not an area that I know much about myself so Could you begin perhaps by telling us what citizen security is and why it's relevant to transitional justice? Yeah, so very much, I guess, citizen security. I mean, it's used in some ways, you know, by by states and and police forces, just literally to mean the security of citizens, Mm -hmm. um, which is quite a descriptive term. But here I would be using it more as an analytical tool, um, very much to see... um, look at the relationships between governance agents and citizens and the way in which citizens, um, grassroots communities and individuals can really input into uh, the policies and the practices that ensure their security. Um, So it's very much kind of looking at this sort of Kantian ideas of citizenship and deliberative um, um, democracy, I guess, in a way. He he wouldn't have used that term himself. But so very much I'm, I'm... draw quite a lot on the director of the Global Security Programme, Annette Eidler, who's written a lot about citizen security and very much something that differentiates it from other types of national security and other state-based securities, be very much this um, citizens having a stake in it, because at the end of the day, those are the people who are facing these security challenges, but also have the ability themselves to analyse and propose solutions to the problems of insecurity that they face, rather than thinking this all has to come from the top down. So very much that's a way in which I'm I'm using it here. Um, in terms of the relevance um, that that has to transitional justice, um, certainly I guess this idea, and I would be more along the idea of transformative justice, which obviously uh, you're exploring this volume, which is uh, kind of very much from transitional to transformative justice. Um, and and how they differ, and I would be maybe trying to bring in more of this um, 
of these types of analyses. So I think the relevance would very much be that empowered citizenship and agency um, is a good in itself in giving people a voice, but it also works to have better policies and better political environments when we kind of increase the sphere of decision making. Thank you, Dara. I wanted to pick up on that notion of um, sort of grassroots bottom-up agency. I mean, as you'll know, there's been sort of debates or calls in the Transitional Justice Scholarship for years now um, for transitional justice to be more sort of uh, localised or grassroots-led or bottom-up. Like, for instance, we had McAvoy and McGregor calling for transitional justice from below back in 2008. Can you give us a sense of where the Transitional Justice Scholarship is with regards to that now? Have we have we moved on um, or what, what is the sort of current, I guess, state of the field in that regard? I guess, Lauren, I would say we we're, we haven't moved on. We are possibly moving on, um, which I guess, it, it, you know, it, like anything, it, it's a process. And the critique from transformative justice, certainly my critique, I would not be one for saying, you know, everything is is terrible that was done before. That's definitely not not true. There's a lot of really good transitional justice scholarship and practice over the years that's been built up. And, and it would be kind of foolish to discard a lot of that. What I think we need to do, and this is the same in many fields of, of academia and in life, you know, we're building on what came before. We're, we're seeing what um, the shortcomings are, how, maybe how those things could be improved and, and that sort of iterative process. Of, of of scholarship and, and hopefully that filtering through into the policy making and the practice or, or sometimes actually the practice is going before the scholarship in some examples so i think there's volumes definitely a contribution to it and it, and it actually builds on 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 an earlier volume also edited by by matthew evans um so you know he he uh, and yourself and myself and, and others are also involved in the International Transformative Justice Network. So again, this is a kind of forum in which we will discuss these issues and kind of uh, bring that forward. I think that's great because there's like early career researchers, there's um, established researchers and people that have, have spent a lot of their career in transitional justice, but are incorporating these new ideas and people coming, you know, with uh, directly into this new field. So I think that's a really dynamic field. I think it's a really interesting moment to be to be doing that. So I think this is a great academic contribution. Of course, there's articles as well in various places exploring these ideas. In terms of practice and policy, I think there has been movement as well. Um, if we look at Colombia, so Colombia would be uh, the place where I would do a lot of my um, empirical work uh, and a lot of the analytical focus as well. You know, you had uh, the Truth Commission and it reported um, in the last couple of months uh, it was a National Truth Commission, but what they did very much, they didn't try to reinvent the wheel or, or, or look into everything themselves, but they very much based the report to a large extent on more localised truth commissions and civil society reports that were very grassroots orientated um, that already existed. I think this was very good, partly for resource constraints, because this is always an issue when doing transitional justice or any sort of state policy. Um, rather than having to, you know, spend all the money, bring people all around the country. And so, so partly because of that, um, where you're drawing on pre-existing resources, but also you're maybe getting those voices 
uh, of people who you know may have moved on, may have may have died, you know, because these reports sometimes have been going back fifteen years, twenty years, um, and also you're getting these more localized voices by maybe people that were closer to the ground, but you know they lived in those departments, they lived in those regions, uh, and I think that's a really positive uh, step. I mean, in other places, I'd say there's not so much of a step. Um, so, for example, in here in Northern Ireland, I think possibly we're going the other way, where obviously the UK government is trying to bring in kind of amnesty or impunity laws. And this is really against the wills of almost the entire society of Northern Ireland um, across the political spectrum. Um, you know, obviously, there'll be some people that think it's it's a good policy, but you know, this is very much the opposite. We're actually Everyone from, you know, the politicians, I would say in Stormont, but they're not in Stormont, um, you know, to, to, to community representatives are saying, we do not want this. And yet there's very much a top-down process. Obviously, in Northern Ireland, there's still no Truth Commission, there's still no Civic Forum, and these sorts of um, potential areas in which grassroots voices could be better expressed. So I definitely see, see that as an issue. So, sorry to sound a bit doom and gloom on this. On this place, but um, that's maybe just familiarity. You know, you tend to often see the negative more than the positives. I think there has been lots of great social progress in Northern Ireland. So <laughs> let's just say that, just a, for a bit of balance. Yeah, of course. And I mean, in your in your chapter, you do draw on Northern Ireland and Columbia both as as case studies. So I guess to look then at those, could you tell us? I mean, I guess just sort of briefly sketch out what citizen security has looked like in those in those contexts. Yeah. So I think. Um, I mean, obviously, Colombia and Northern Ireland are very different places uh, in terms of size, in terms of um, geographically, but certainly there's similarities in terms of there the, the has been an internal armed conflict. Um, there has been, you know, very deep societal divisions, um, and it, so not always for the same reason, um, obviously, but. Certainly, the the implications and the outcomes have been somewhat similar. Um, a, a massive amount of human rights violations and deaths and disappearances and um, and so on. What's I think the key thing is about is citizen security and here using it in this descriptive sense. Um, it has that improved in the post conflict, um, and that's a big question. Um. You know, in Colombia, since they signed a peace agreement in 2016, um, you know, actually killings in many ways or in many of many categories, politically motivated killings have actually gone up, even when the general rate of homicide has gone down. I think this is something that I, that I look at in the chapter. So why would that be? And I think kind of bringing these transformative justice, transitional justices and security um, focus helps us to see that uh, because people aren't getting involved. I'd say in Northern Ireland, certain types of violence of violences have increased as well. Um, I think there are their political um, violence has gone down, uh, at least in terms of the the highest profile ones and the, the the killings. But there's still a kind of undercurrent of of political violence political resentment, I think, to a large extent, this is based on feelings of alienation uh, that people have, where people do not feel that they're having a say in how their communities and how their societies are are being governed and, and how security is being provided. So I think that's certainly a concern. And of course, um, 
different types of insecurities have come to the surface that may have been disguised um, during the troubles. You know, things, you know, domestic violence, for example. Of course, you know, there's been a lot of uh, publicity in recent years about issues around um, people taking their own lives. Um, and, and more people have, have died through that than, than have been killed in the troubles. And we can say these are disconnected, but then there's this whole issue of, you know, post-conflict trauma and, and continuing trauma. But also we have to look at the socioeconomic determinants of this, where actually a lot of these um, people taking their own lives, it's kind of concentrated in the same areas where there's multiple deprivations, which is also where a lot of the Troubles era killings happen. So if we don't see the historical continuities um, from the past into the present and, and, and moving forward, then I think we're going to kind of miss big opportunities to try and improve society here. And again, the same in Colombia, uh, where I think, you know, those parallels exist and, and we can look, you know, across other uh, conflict areas, of course. Um, those are just areas, uh, two societies that I, I'm knowledgeable about, uh, but obviously I'm sure we would we would see that and, and other articles, um, other, other chapters in this book even, kind of explores similar sorts of issues in different geographical contexts. Yeah, for sure. And it, it sounds like, um, so citizen security provides quite a useful, as you've mentioned, analytical framework and also a descriptor for thinking about, I guess, what goes on sort of beyond the headlines. I think when we think that we've maybe had a successful peace agreement or a peace agreement that has broadly contributed to positive change, that actually there can be all of these other impacts. I know you mentioned in your chapter that citizen security has been quite overlooked so far in transitional justice. So um, I guess this is as well our, our, our final question. As you know, we're, we're keeping these episodes quite um, quite brief. But where would you like to go f from here with this research or, or where, where would you like to see the research go in this area? Um, you know, thanks, Lauren. Um, okay, let me pick up on a, the, your comment um, to, and then I'll get to your question. Because another concept that I've I've worked with is structural violence. I think that's something that underpins very much this, these ideas uh, and these historical continuities and, and this sort of hidden violences. Um, so I, I think that's certainly certainly key. That's something that that you've picked up there. Um, where would I like to dig? Because I think you know I'm I'm kind of at the moment I'm working on on integrating participation into security, and I'm really trying to re-theorize um, how participation and security are are linked together um, in the field. Um, we're very much more in security studies. Um, but I, I kind of feel in this sort of peace building and, and transitional justice to some extent as well, there's still very much a tendency to think of we need to have security first and once things are settled down then, then people are able to uh, participate and, and show agency. And so a lot of the work I'm looking on now, and I think that sort of brings this together is, well, then you're just building a kind of external idea of security. Um, onto these areas and onto these communities and the people in these communities rather than really understanding what their insecurities are. So I think that very much links to, to this idea. And it's, um, she was writing this chapter um, kind of at the same time as that. And so they're very much linked together, but uh, this is kind of more sketching out some of the conceptual linkages um, from transitional justice to citizen security was um, some of the other work. I'm trying to dig into that a bit more empirically. Um, using grounded theory. 
and so well what people on the ground understand as security and insecurity you know and there's all these questions around um ontological insecurity or you know people not feeling comfortable um and i think uh, i think cash talks about that uh, and very much the idea that people when conflict is happening they feel in a way an ontological security where they at least they understand what's happening or, or they can identify with a certain group and we certainly see that in, here in northern ireland was actually when those kind of very um sure you know, personal markers of identification break down. That can be when sort of people feel dislocated. I think we're seeing that a lot here in in Northern Ireland. Um, and another so that that's that's one way in which I am moving it forward at the moment. Um, and I'd also like to kind of yeah continue deepening that work. And I, what I'm trying to work on now as well is uh, dig even more into that and see how. The work I've kind of working on now, trying to you know, get out there and kind of as some of it's been submitted already and, you know, um, being revised at the moment. But after that, really very much talking to both elite actors and grassroots actors and really trying to see what a, what are the gaps in the understanding. I think that's something, something that would be really useful um, and could really contribute to policy. Um, formulation as well as uh, kind of academic knowledge so yeah I hope that answers that question. It does Dara thank <laughs> you um, I really am looking forward really to seeing what, what comes out of this I think that idea of processes being sort of security led and participation coming after is um, a really interesting nexus to explore um, so thank you so much for your time Dara we'll put uh, references to your chapter and the any other relevant work that you have and the work of some of the other scholars you've mentioned today in our show notes so our listeners can read those if they want anything further and yeah i'll bring us to a close thank you for your time thank you very much lauren